Hello and welcome to Teddy on the Tube, a podcast that aims to explore all things emotional well-being with a slant on trauma recovery and what it means to be recovered. Joining me today is Dan, who's a survivor and mental health professional. And Dan is behind the really fantastic website and blog entitled Have You Tried Mindfulness, which he describes as a place to think, feel, and shout about mental health. Good morning and welcome, Dan. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> so we can get to know you a bit better. Describe yourself in three words. Um, I would say thoughtful or is over-thoughtful, one word. <laughs> <laughs> you can have that as one. Thoughtful, <laughs> yeah. um, over-thoughtful. Th- I would hopefully say uh, compassionate uh, and maybe um, probably for the first time in my life actually balanced. Um, I never would have I never would have said balanced before, but now I would, and I'm sort of really consciously fighting the urge to give one sort of negative word to sort of balance it out to not seem too egotistical. But actually, I think. I actually, I'm going to own that and just be like, actually, I want to speak positively about myself and that'd be an okay thing to do. I don't know, that's absolutely fabulous. I mean, balanced is a beautiful place to be, isn't it? When you when you finally, when you can experience what it's like to be balanced. Yeah, yeah. And I think I feel comfortable saying that just because it's not something I've ever experienced before. Yeah. It's, it's not like a boast of like, look at me, how I am. It's more like I've achieved this thing finally after quite a long time. Do you also think there's a slight element of you think, well, if I if I now own this, is it going to jinx things? Yeah, I I think I think definitely. I think over the last last maybe year or so, like I've had a real I progressed in you know my life's completely changed for the better in terms of my mental health, um, and I'm sort of what I, what I'm rem- reminded of is. You know, like when you see like a child being pushed on a bike by their parent and it's sort of like without stabilizers and there's sort of a look on their face the first time they ride and they're like, I'm going to fall any minute. I'm going to fall any minute. It's kind of how I feel a lot of the time. I'm like, this is sort of such a new experience of actually feeling okay that I wonder what's going to happen. It feels that there should be some inevitable downward trajectory after an upward one, but I don't think that's necessarily the case. I mean, life throws stuff at you, but I think mental health doesn't always need to just be a you know an up and then a down you know you can have some sort of positive changes that remain and stay so yeah I feel like it should jinx it but I think logically I hope that I know that it won't yeah yeah I know another question about it if if you if you were a font which font would it be and why so I actually (laughs) did put a bit of thought in for this one (laughs) you sent me the questions uh, my, I stuck with my initial one, which was courier, you know, the sort of typewriter one. Yep. Yep. I think cause it's irritatingly hipster and I think I'm a bit irritatingly hipster. So, uh, and, and also I, I used to, um, I did some like creative writing modules and stuff when I was a lot younger and I used to write in that because I think you had to for like the submissions or something and for like screenplays and things. And it's really satisfying. To write in that and I feel like it's sort of 
typewritery and yeah i don't know i i don't know if i think of myself as a typewriter <laughs> I don't know what it means, but i just it appeals to me and it's the only one i could think of so I'm definitely not comic sans that's what i'll say I mean, talking about creativity, I mean, I, I suppose you and I, to some extent, initially connected through the Epion blog. Yes. The See Me, Hear Me. And you wrote really quite beautifully uh, and spoke quite beautifully using the, the, the analogy or the, the, the metaphor of the garden. Mm, okay. Do you find being creative helpful as part of not necessarily the, 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 the former recovery process, but, but staying recovered and staying well and, and, and does it help you in, in terms of your long-term trajectory? Uh, yes, I think, I think actually the process, the process of actually writing, um, not necessarily, uh, but the, but the focus, um, the focus of, thinking about trauma and thinking about mental health and reading about it and reading other people's opinions and experiences about it that that as a whole really really helps me so it's once i have the focus of want you know i guess wanting or needing to to write about trauma and thinking about writing about it very regularly because you know with a blog you have to update regularly and mm. the fact of having to do that um, or setting myself that task really helps because it makes me take in loads of perspectives. It makes me think. It makes me think about my own experience. So I guess yeah, it really really helps. Um, but it's more the the stuff around it rather than the actual act of creativity itself. So I, I don't think that if I was sort of expressing myself through like through say painting or something like that um, or music, that would have quite the same impact for me personally I'm sure it does for other people but mm. for me what I need to do is learn and think and digest other people's thoughts and opinions and their knowledge and then assimilate that myself and then once I can kind of put that all down in one piece of writing the process of doing that is what helps me understand my own trauma more. Do you um, find do you find it keeps you accountable when you're when you're updating your blog is, is that something that you find yeah, do you mean I? I think it, it helps me. It keeps me accountable in terms of. Um, I think. Do you mean in terms of keeping me doing, keeping me being creative? Yeah. 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 I mean, yes, definitely. Um, I think it keeps me. I, I definitely think that. Right. Say, if I was set, setting myself the task of, I don't know, writing a book about trauma with no deadline and no one to do it, I, I wouldn't be able to do that because I'm procrastinator and it will be easy to task and like I know I, I know when I wrote when I wrote my dissertation I did it all in two weeks I had a year and I did it in two weeks and wow. um and no that's not an achievement <laughs> that's a demonstration I wouldn't recommend this I would not recommend it it was a very bad experience but um that's that's how I am and so yeah it, I think I'm much better at being able to do uh, small bite-sized pieces of writing and to feel like uh, in order to kind of, because I'm really passionate about the website as, as a thing, you know, as a, as a um, project. And in order to keep that going, I know that I constantly need to update it. And mm. so that, yeah, that definitely helps keep me accountable. 
but but also I think putting stuff out there makes me accountable to other people and makes me think about other people's opinions and thoughts and actually that really makes me better in work because if I write something I you know I think well how would this appear to somebody who's had x y and z experience or how would it appeal you know appear to that person mm. and it helps me kind of think about other perspectives and not get kind of railroaded down my own experience and think that that's the only one that anyone has ever had because obviously especially with trauma everyone's experience is individual mm. would you like to explain a little bit about your journey if you feel comfortable doing that yeah yes definitely um so i think so for me i had trauma realizing now i had trauma from childhood uh and i had I guess what you call since I'm not really that comfortable with the idea of Ill, trauma being an inherently an illness thing, but it's useful for this. So I, you know, I had certain certain symptoms of trauma throughout my adult life that I labelled as depression or anxiety or like a bit OCD, and that kind of helped me in a way because I didn't know that I was as kind of um, hampered as I actually was, right. um, and I dropped out of university um, and at, at sort of 2021, I think, and got a got a job in a mental health hospital just as a kind of stopgap thing um, and ended up, uh, I wouldn't say ended up staying, but I mean, really became passionate about mental health and was reasonably good at it and have worked in various frontline mental health services since since that time really um either in hospitals or in the community um and then i qualified professionally probably about five six years ago um and went back to university obviously to, to do that um and yeah i've always been really passionate about it and then probably coming up for two years ago now out what to me was out of the blue but looking back was inevitable i had um just a really guess you would call it a breakdown so I you know I had some traumatic uh memories that I just I guess the only way I can put it is that I connected with them like I'd always sort of been aware of them but I connected with them in a very real visceral sense uh and that brought up a lot of um quite intense symptoms so things like flashbacks and uh anxiety attacks uh and it was like a really difficult time and I had a lot of therapy had some talking therapy and also some EMDR um, and that has pretty much resolved things that had, you know, changed. There were life-changing um, therapies between them. Um, and I think for me, going through that experience has completely changed how I think about mental health. Um, and so now I feel it's just, it's a very surreal experience working in the same job that I worked in before, but with a completely different perspective. Um, and so I think that's part of why I've started writing about it is a kind of, I guess, to try and change things and try and change perspectives and sort of get, get other people to understand the reality of trauma rather than the kind of narrative that's out there at the moment. Yeah. And also, I think, to some extent, normalise it, but normalise perhaps the reactions or the responses to it rather than the, you know, the, the trauma itself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I think it's, I've written about this before, but the, you know, when, if you compare it to something like grief, people will accept a huge amount of 
if you invert commas, unusual behavior in people who are grieving. Mm. So if a grieving person says to you, oh, I heard the voice of the person who's died, then people will accept that and they will be fine with that. But if you've been through trauma and you say that you've heard the voice of your abuser, for example, then people will feel like you are becoming psychotic. They'll give you a label and a stigmatizing label and people will recommend medication and people won't accept it in the way they would with, say, grief. And I think as far as I'm concerned, and as, as a lot of people are concerned, you know, so much so much of what is labelled as, you know, bizarre behaviour is actually very understandable behaviour. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about, um, I mean, there was various sort of back and forth on Trisha quite frequently about, um, is it unstable personality disorder? Mm. And what's the other one? There are two terms that tend to be used um, borderline personality. That's it. Borderline personality. Those two saying that no, actually, they are what we're seeing. There are just perfectly logical reactions to traumatic events. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think it's interesting because I I think a lot about about oppression and structural oppression and how that how that is manifested within how people treat trauma. And I think it's interesting that a, a phrase like both or any phrase like personality disorder locates the problem with the individual, yeah. it, you know, your personality is disordered when, you know, and to be, I guess I slightly caveat this by saying there are people who are very clear that they have that diagnosis and haven't mm. experienced trauma, but the statistic, the correlation is very you know, high between people who experience trauma and that diagnosis. But yeah, so the majority of people with personality disorder would have experienced trauma. And obviously that is not a problem that's located in them or should be located in them because it isn't their actions. And, and yet it's their personality that's being labeled as disordered. Mm. Um, and I wonder why that is and who has decided to do that and why they've decided to do that and what attitudes that reflects. You think it's 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 from an ease of treatment? Um, I don't. I think I think diagnosis makes treatment easier overall, um, and I think it can be helpful for some people, but also really stigmatizing for other people. But I think the choice to call it personality disorder, as opposed to say, you know, what the, the, one of the other words that can be used is complex trauma which yeah there is a there is a diagnostic difference between the two of them but um i'm not sure you know i don't know the details of that that's mm. not my area but i think the choice of language is um to me like it it suggests a wanting to locate the problem with the individual um especially as primarily um, you know, primarily, but not exclusively victims of trauma of women. And I wonder about the gender of the people making the decisions and deciding on that language. And it's probably mostly men or has been mostly men. Yeah. And thinking about how that reflects on things like, the, you know, like from a feminist perspective, you could say that, you know, it's a patriarchal, well, it's a form of patriarchal oppression, mm. really. Absolutely. I mean, talk about treatment. Um, I want to touch again on, on the piece you wrote for the Epion, um, See Me, Hear Me, mm. because you touched on privilege there. 
and and I think this is really fascinating because I I I would I suppose describe myself as being relatively privileged and I wondered for quite a while whether that actually prevented me from coming forward and even having opinions, if you like, about trauma recovery and, and, and about treatment models. And it was so interesting reading your blog and again on, on the EPM where you say that um, we are not necessarily any less deserving of treatment or support simply because we had the wherewithal to access treatment in the first place. And I think that it's, it's quite an interesting, I mean, I think it's a very, very sensitive topic, but I wonder what your thoughts were on it as, as regards privilege and, and, and accessing treatment. And I mean, also, if I consider how incredibly hard it was for me to, to, to get the treatment I needed, and, and I had everything that I needed at my disposal, how on earth do we support those members of society who who have barely none of, of, of some of the privileges that we do? Yeah, and that's I I think that all all the time and that and that was a huge driver for me. I mean, for me, I accessed treatment by, you know, my treatment my treatment was therapy, weekly therapy for a year yeah. at fifty-five pounds a time. Yep. And it, you know, it stretched me and I had, but I had the money to do it and I had the time and the space to do it because I had a nine to five job mm. and, you know, a, you know, I worked somewhere where my boss was understanding and was able to, you know, facilitate things like sick leave if I needed it and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, and yeah, and then, and then I could afford EMDR treatment and I knew about EMDR treatment in the first place, you know, and um i think yeah I, I i think in terms of in terms of being people being able to access that type of treatment with, without money it's i it's it's bizarre that we as a society i think find that that's acceptable so mm. i don't think that you would get the same kind of setup in physical health I think I, don't, I mean I don't have like a kind of easy easy answer to it, mm. but I think I think the only thing really is is about um, I guess promoting education and making the general public understand that this is what people need is long term therapy with I guess trusting relationships, trusting therapeutic relationships, and that short term work can help symptoms but it, but it's not it's not like a it's not going to resolve the overall issue and it's just about educating people so that people know that you know what what needs to be provided um so people can know what's missing because i don't think people who aren't involved in mental health would know that no you'd make a very good point yeah i mean if i'm i'm going to to read if i may just just very briefly part of your blog and you said that privilege can massively reduce the social impact of mental health problems but it can do absolutely nothing for someone's inner pain yeah and i mean if you're comfortable to talk about it how or, or what what tools what what methods are in your toolkit if you like how do you deal with 
perhaps emotional pain or, I mean, for example, if I think about how I self-soothe, how, how do you look after your emotional well-being? I think, I think what I've discovered, and I think it's what we were saying earlier about balance, is just accepting that I don't have to be, I don't try and do what I used to do, which is pursue, in inverted commas, good things all the time. So I used to do this, I used to have this pattern of, you know, uh, I don't know, going on a completely vegan diet and and deciding that I was going to, this is not what I ever did, but this type of thing, you know, and then starting to read books about, you know, you know, impressive things that people would like, or whatever it was, or, you know, completely stopped drinking or, you know, and actually what would end up happening is that, you know, that would fall down after about two minutes. And so now what I try and do is have a sort of overall equilibrium and try and be mindful and and not, not beat myself up too much when I do things that are like not necessarily helpful. Um, and I think it's about what I've learned really is learning when my self-care um, can crossover into self-harm um and it's very easy that those two things you know it's very easily done because those two things are often two sides of the same coin Mm -hmm. so i think for me it used so for me being on my own can be really really positive i really value solitude it helps me think clearly it helps me um feel safe i'm really feel really positive about it when i'm alone but that kind of solitude can slip over into self-isolation and and I can go down into a rabbit hole and become um really depressed very easily doing that and similarly you know just um indulging myself in like you know a bit of alcohol or a bit of a you know takeaway food or something can be really good for me but then sometimes that can snowball and sometimes it's been you know several days and I haven't had a good meal or whatever and suddenly I feel like I'm doing it as a sort of self-punishment and I've eventually, I hope, got to a point where I know where that line is to some extent. Um, and that has really been helpful in maintaining the equilibrium of overall. I try I try and think of it in like monthly chunks, you know, mm-hmm. so when I think like I've had a good week this week and a bad week this week, and if I've had two good weeks and two bad weeks overall, then that tends to mean that I'm okay and good enough and accepting good enough is good enough. And, you know, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's you. You spoke earlier about um, sort of stabilizers and a bicycle. It, it's. Do you do you find yourself looking at your uh, moving forward your world just in with completely new spectacles on? Yes. I mean, yeah. A- absolutely. Um, I think. I, th- I think it just. I just I'm able to function so much better than I used to be able to. So now that I don't have this, I remember about two years ago when I first went into therapy, I had this, I spoke to my therapist and one of the first things I said is that I think like the back third of my mind is just this kind of maelstrom of um, like chaos that I couldn't access and didn't understand. And that was constantly going on. Um, and I feel as if I've accessed that and integrated it and actually now that I've done that, I have so much more capacity for other things, um, so much more ability to empathize with other people, so much more ability to think about things and to 
my time isn't taken up maintaining trauma symptoms anymore. So I just, you know, and I'm able to sleep better and because I can sleep better, I can think better. And then I can, you know, there was absolutely no way I'd have been able to have um, written the amount that I write now. Well, it, it, I didn't, you know, <laughs> I think that's the evidence, isn't it? <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, I, and now that now that I have all this sort of possibility opened up, it does make me think about things that I, I used to think, oh, no, I wouldn't be able to do that because mm -hmm. I couldn't. You know, it wasn't me being sort of um, self-deprecating. It genuinely was. Now I realise why. I didn't, I didn't know why before. I just thought, you know, I couldn't do that. Whereas now I think, oh, I could do that. And um, things like being able to speak in public, which would have been I was so... My natural baseline of anxiety was already so high before that actually speaking in public was you know almost impossible and now i do a bit of that at work you know and and so there's just and that in itself opens up other opportunities and you know so there's just a million different avenues that are now open to me and i'm not constantly having to repair relationships because i've you know hit out over some anxiety ridden perception mm. that wasn't even there and you know there's just a billion and one things that has changed in my life that means that things are much more positive now and so yeah, that opens up avenues that I didn't have before. Yeah. Just throwing this out there completely, because I, I hadn't thought about it before when you were saying these things, but I wonder whether it's, you know, talking about perhaps doing public speaking. I've noticed that I no longer have this, and whether, I mean, it's brilliant where you describe it, this back third of your brain. I mean, that that's really fantastic. It's almost as if I'm no longer going into events where I'm concerned somebody's going to find out something about me. And mm. that just seems very, very freeing. And it wasn't a conscious thing. And I wonder whether that sort of resonates with you as well. It's, it's almost as if perhaps having admitted things to myself and then gradually to other people and whether it's a shame thing, perhaps it's shame that, you know, you're, you're always trying to hide something, therefore you're always trying to hide part of yourself so you can't authentically interact with another person or connect with somebody else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I think I, I remember I remember whenever I used to interact with anybody, I would always interact with them on the basis of what they wanted to see from me and what they would expect and what they would like because I felt like if they found out the real me then that would be inherently a bad thing and that I was evil I guess and so you know if, if I that's how I felt and so I thought well the last thing I want is for anybody to see that and so but actually interacting with some you know if you're if, if I put myself now in the other person's shoes that's you can sense that can't you when somebody yeah. is doing that and you can sense that someone's being inauthentic and you can also sense that somebody's trying to sort of please you and if you don't know why it can seem a bit discomforting and now that i am a bit more authentic than that it's definitely improved my relationships with people and my interactions with people but yeah it's much more freeing because I, I just suddenly realized I'm, oh no i'm not not evil <laughs> i don't really even think there is such a thing as an evil person but it, yeah and it just it just is extremely freeing yeah mm. i mean the fact that we can laugh about it i think is is it's testament to yeah certainly all the work that you've done mm. yeah and it, it I, I feel happy to be in a place now where this stuff seems 
funny to me because it never, you know, definitely, mm. I wouldn't ever find it funny in anybody else. But I think, you know, I feel like I'm allowed that indulgence with me. Question leading on from really the, the content of your blog, do we talk about mental health enough? I think, I think, yeah, like, yes and no. Uh, I think definitely it's talked about, but it's talked about in quite superficial terms and quite safe terms. And you often hear people say things like, oh, it's, you know, it's really brave of this celebrity to talk about, you know, their depression and there's loads of stigma around depression. And so it's really brave of them to talk about it. And I feel like actually there isn't that much stigma about depression anymore, that it is talked about quite openly. And I think what that's doing when people say that is they're masking the real stigma and the stuff that we don't talk about. So you will very rarely hear somebody talk about, you know, what would be normally termed say schizophrenia or, you know, vaguely people might talk about bipolar, but not really. But the more stigmatized and certainly not personality disorder, that's really, um, you know, put in the background. And I think we talk about it maybe it's focused too much in the wrong direction. So the sort of the really like the really much more um, the, the ways that mental distress can kind of present itself um, in the more sort of severe forms doesn't get talked about enough. Mm. We're kind of talking about it in a very surface level way. And we talk about, you know, anxiety and that kind of thing. But I, I don't think it's talked about enough The kind of, and certainly not trauma. Trauma as a, as a thing is, is really, you know, within maybe sort of psychological circles or survivor circles, it's talked about. But outside that, people don't really want to speak about trauma beyond, you know, someone having PTSD from a car crash or, you know, uh, veterans coming back from Iraq with PTSD, which are all very valid forms of trauma. But we don't talk about the kind of colossal impact of trauma um, on on individuals and on society at all. Do you think we're heading in the right direction as regards that though are we gradually chipping away at some of the the, the deeper stuff um I, I would like to say that we were um but i'm not sure that's true um i guess part of my motivation in starting to write about trauma is that i you know i worked in mental health services frontline mental health services for over a decade um and then had a trauma breakdown myself and it was only at that point that I realized that I'd been suffering with trauma symptoms so there was nothing about my day-to-day -day work made me ever think oh you know maybe able to make gave me the ability to recognize my trauma symptoms and I think it's quite telling that if I can't in that scenario then probably most members of the public wouldn't either and it was such a revelation to sort of now I look back having had treatment and therapy to be able to go oh my God, I was suffering with all these things and I had no clue. Um, and so I think public knowledge is really limited and public understanding um, and our services reflect that, that, that there is kind of quite limited provision for trauma in mainstream mental health services. To wrap things up, podcast is called Teddy on the Tube and mm -hmm. the reasoning behind is, is, is to put a conundrum to you and see what your answer is. So you board a train, it's a tube train, and the carriage is entirely empty with the exception of a lone teddy bear. What is your next move? See, I felt like this was a bit like, you know the, um, you know the Rorschach test where the, the ink yeah. got, yeah. the, 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 the psyche. 
I felt like that, but like because of that, my first thought was I ripped the teddy up. Like I wanted to do something really bizarre, and um, but I mean, re in reality, probably what I would do. I've, you know, I'm massively germphobic. I would go nowhere near the teddy. I would just think, what? Where has that teddy been? What's going on with that teddy? I don't, I don't want to touch it. So <laughs> that, that is fair enough that there is no wrong and no right answer because I, I, I haven't actually come up with what I would do. I'm still pondering that one. But um, I, I want to know what other people said. Just to, well, it's just good. To... You're the first, so it, it, it's oh, going okay. to be interesting. Actually, we, we have we have Anish Devos to uh, to thank for this question because it was actually I, I need to I need to give uh, high fives to to Anish for coming up with the with a suggestion. It was uh, something that came out of a conversation we had. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what what other people come up with. I feel like I should say something else really worthy, like I would take it and uh, fundraise for charity with it. <laughs> Just, <laughs> you, you, it, it, you can do with it whatever you like. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dan, thanks so much for, for spending some time with me um, talking about these subjects. And uh, as I say, I, I absolutely love your blog and, and website and it's, it's creating a really, really fantastic space for people. So thank you for doing that. Well, no, thank you. And yeah, I really appreciate it. It's really good to talk, definitely. Thanks, Dan.